Now to growing concerns about you must stay at home. Total cases in the U.S. now top 8.4 million. The new variant of coronavirus is out of control. I hate you, 2020! Well, that was a pile of crap, I know. However, we did see some amazing tech companies emerge from the crisis. And this podcast is me going around the world talking to founders of these companies. And some of these founder stories are absolutely amazing and can't wait to share them with you. So, from San Francisco to Sydney, my name's Ben Kenwright, introducing the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. Okay, it's obviously your most favorite time of the week. It's 2020 Entrepreneurs Club episode release day. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've had five amazing guests so far and we have plenty more to come. Thanks to everyone around the world who's tuned in. We've got 15 or 16 countries that are listening to this podcast now, which is absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful. But I'm kind of slightly baffled how we've managed that because we have a lot of these countries on the roadmap of podcast guests, but we haven't got there yet. So thanks to those guests that have been following and liking and telling all their friends in these wonderful places because people are listening. Up until now, we've been talking to some amazing founders and we've been hearing very very interesting stories but it's been a kind of structured conversation formula so understanding how the idea came about and how they got the concept off the ground in 2020 but we've been hearing consistent avenues to getting that idea off ground and we're going to start to explore these in more detail and we're doing this because we want to intertwine the hows into the podcast so if you're listening out there and you're thinking about starting a business or, you're, or you've already started a business and you're wondering how you can grow it, we're going to get more informative, delving into deeper detail around what these things mean, such as incubators and accelerators. We're going to have VCs on the podcast. We're going to have different types of investors on the podcast. And as ever, we're going to have these amazing guests talking about how they used these different avenues to get to where they are now. Today, we're starting off with the incubators. Now, I, for one, kind of always knew what an incubator was. Well, I thought I did, and I could hold my own in conversation as to what an incubator actually does. But it wasn't until I started talking to entrepreneurs who'd started within an incubator that I understood that really I didn't know much about it at all. And today we're starting off with not one, but two amazing entrepreneur stories, entrepreneurs that have launched their brand via an incubator. And I think this is fascinating. For anyone who's entrepreneurial out there, but doesn't necessarily know what route they want to take, this is an absolute must listen. We've got two founders who joined incubators with no set business idea, not knowing anyone within the incubator. And after that incubator cycle had finished, they both had businesses and investments and co-founders who up until a few months prior were complete strangers. So first up today, we have a Julianne Sloan, who is the co-founder of Nutter Data. And then immediately following Julianne, we have Snorri Jordholm Meyer, who is the CEO and co-founder at Place, who's over in Oslo. Wonderful city, by the way. So without further ado, introducing Julianne first. I do hope you enjoy. And as ever, make sure you've hit that subscribe button and all that. Welcome back to the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. So today we have Julianne Sloan from Nossa Data. Hi, Julianne. Hi, nice talk today. And uh, today's a massive day for Nossa Data. You have just had your first round of funding announced. 
Yeah, we're we're super excited about it. We um we've just closed a three hundred thousand pound pre seed round uh, with TechStars, Barclays, SSC Capital, and a few different angels, um, which is really good news for us. It means we have eighteen months of runway, and we are able to hire two people. So we're we're currently hiring two people. That uh, amazing, massive day. Um, so rewinding a little bit, so you guys are a female led startup. That's also massive, and it's all around simplifying ESG reporting. Something I didn't really know much about until I uh, came across you guys. Uh, but Nostra Data as a brand looks amazing. And it is a true 2020 um, Entrepreneurs Club tech startup. So welcome to the podcast. Um, so rewinding a little bit, Julianne, it'd be great to find out about you, your career so far, uh, what led you to London and um, how the catalyst for, for Nostra Data have come about. Yeah, uh, so starting at the very beginning, I'm from Washington State, um, so I'm American. I moved to London in around 2015, so my path into startups um, is a little bit unconventional, but I think that's maybe the most conventional way to get into startups. Uh, I have studied public health, uh, and while I was there, I was thinking a lot about how I make an impact with my career. And what I began to realize as I reached the end of university was I thought that the best way to leverage myself as a person was to join a small company with really big growth ambitions. And where does that happen? It happens in technology startups. And so um, immediately after school, I actually moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil uh, for a while and got involved with the startup ecosystem there, um, which is actually very interesting. Uh, I was working in essentially like a, a co-working space before WeWork had launched in Brazil. It was the time Uber was launching in Brazil. The co-working space I was at um, was the same first office as Uber, um, which was the whole period of launching. And uh, a lot about the startup ecosystem there. I decided to leave Brazil after six months, um, mainly because I'm not Brazilian. So it, it didn't make sense for me to start a career in a country that I do not have citizenship in. It creates a lot of complications. Uh, and I have a British passport. And so my dad's British, my mom American. And so I figured, what if I just went to London? Um, and I saw a company uh, called Splittable that later renamed to Acasa with a TechCrunch article that just raised around a million uh, seed round. So I actually sent them a cold email um, off the TechCrunch article and ended up getting hired there and working there for two years and really becoming a part of the London FinTech ecosystem. Great, and um, you have become part of a couple of incubators along the way, uh, and you are actually the first guest uh, that are uh, an incubator founded a tech startup and the first guest where the co-founders actually met in the incubator. Uh, so we'd love to hear more about uh, your experience so far in said incubators because it's not something that I actually know anything about apart from uh, roughly what they do when I when I peek in from the outside. Yeah, so uh, with me working in startups previously in my career, I always had the intention of starting a company and I also always wanted to do it with someone else. And so I was always looking to have a co-founder in that journey and ideally a technical co-founder so I'm more of the business and product side of things. What I found was that while I um, had and still have many technical friends, it was really hard to get the right balance of things right. Maybe we liked working together, but we didn't like working on the same idea. Maybe we liked working on the same idea, but the timing didn't work out. When they wanted to do a startup, I wanted to have a more stable career. When, they, when I wanted to do a startup, they wanted a more stable career. So I was struggling to find essentially like the timing and idea combination. 
And I learned about um, these pre-idea, pre-scheme incubators. I would say there's two dominant ones in London. One is Entrepreneur First and one is Antler, which is the one I did. Um, and it made a sense. I was like, yeah, you bring in 70 people, essentially. They all want to start businesses. They have different skill sets and you match up. That can really help solve the problem. And so I joined uh, Antler in London in March of 2020. And I came in... Um, Basically, knowing I wanted to work in ESG, I'd already decided that that was the area I wanted to start a business in. I was already writing a newsletter in this space and consulting in this space. So my plan going into the incubator was going to, I was going to ask all 70 people in the incubator if they would start a company in ESG and maybe even go to people beyond the incubator, trying to find someone to work in ESG before I even thought about anything else. And Thankfully, on day two, day two of the incubator, I met my co-founder. She also got really excited about ESG, which stands for Environmental Social Governance. I can go into that a bit more. Um, and we've uh, been working together since, I think, March, March 3rd, uh, 2020. So can I ask you, generally people enter an incubator with uh, concepts in mind, or can you come into an incubator with a lot of startup experience and possibly several concepts in mind? And then depending on the people dynamics within those concepts naturally emerge? Yeah, specifically Antler and Entrepreneur First, uh, those two programs, you are not really meant to go in with a concept defined. I mean, me having a topic that I was specific on was about as much as you should come in with. Uh, those ones are specifically tied for people that are open to lots of ideas and it's about matching a team. Uh, tech, like tech stars where I, I am now, so now we're an accelerator. There you come in with a team, you come in with a business, you come in with a product, you come in like with all of that already defined. You might pivot, but you already have picked kind of your main area. Sure thing. Yeah, it makes sense. So it is entrepreneur matchmaking. Um, and then bringing us into a concept that's going to be fascinating to lots of people that uh, have founded businesses with people they know. And I've often had this, I've had lots of great ideas. Well, I've thought they were great ideas at the time. A lot of them were probably crap, but I've had, uh, you know, business ideas over the years that needed more than just one person. But it's difficult, especially as you get older, your friends start having kids and mortgages, and then you're asking them to, to bet their, you know, life on some concept that you're cooking up. It, you know, it's increasingly difficult. Um, however, so my co-founder, we were very good friends before launching Bub, and that can be good and bad, but one thing that is, uh, well, it, it is very definite in that dynamic is that we know each other very well. So we know what each other like, what we don't like, and how we operate. How is it working with someone that you don't particularly have much human history with when the pressures start coming on? You know, when, when the, the days become longer and, and, you know, the business starts becoming very, very real. Yeah, so meeting someone in this more targeted way, you do need to be more careful because you don't have, you know, three years of friendship kind of cementing your relationship. One thing that we did at the very beginning, and we actually were given this uh, through the incubator we're in, were lists of essentially values questionnaires. And so the first probably two weeks we're working together, we spent most of our time actually discussing values. What kind of business do you want to make? How do we want to define those things? But in a very very targeted way to make sure, yeah, to make sure we got it right. Um, I think the other thing that really made sense for us was while we didn't know each other, we had fairly close like degrees of separation. And so it's like, we didn't know each other, but maybe like 
we have some friends that know each other or like even like the school and the places we hung out did have similarities. I don't think you necessarily need that. I've seen like founders meet in this way in very different positions. In our case, I think one of the things that drew us to each other was Irina initially reminded me of a lot of developers I had already been friends with for a long time. And I think similarly, I reminded her of people she'd been friends with for a long time. So we had um, some commonality like this, but we, we very targeted actually talked through our priorities um, at the beginning. I think, you know, the incubator or the, the genius of incubators is that they take a scientific approach to everything, uh, right down to the human relationships. Wondering, do they actually teach conflict resolution or <laughs> is that is that a lawyer's problem further down the line? Yeah, so a big thing in the incubator. So it, it went from March to end of May. Um, so it's like full three months and they use the term breakup, like almost like a couple breakup. Uh, phrasing and so you are very much encouraged to break up with person you're working with if it's not working out um so the whole time we had like very like it's kind of encouraged that if, it, if you work with someone for two weeks and it's not working out you should break up with them quickly don't make it work because you're meeting in this uh, hyper curated setting and so we uh really would frequently discuss at the beginning, okay, how do we like working each other? Should we quote unquote break up and re-enter the cohort to meet other people? In our case, I think it always is just very, very easy. I think it was also helpful just being um, two women. I like I, I never actually like there's way less women in tech than in tech, and I wasn't particularly targeting a woman. It's just Irina is a woman who happened to get along with the best, and I think women are actually better at sharing kind of their emotions and feelings and keeping that, and that's been really nice. And so it's actually been a huge like benefit for me that while I wasn't intending that, I feel so happy that I get to start the business with another like woman because um, I've actually done most of my career working uh, almost always with men. Oh, really? That's very interesting. Uh, not that you know they're going to try and match. Uh, women with women but I, I was wondering because of the reasons that you said would you naturally gravitate towards other women tech founders especially when you're the minority amongst a bunch um, and it's interesting how pragmatic the incubator is because most people that do know their founders previously and then they go into business you know they can be best of friends but they're going to business um, or they could be you know family members but once they're in business and the pressure start and the arguments start they're always trying to um, keep it going because the human instinct is always to keep, keep salvaging what we have and, and just pushing forward. Uh, but it's not particularly healthy or pragmatic. You know, you should be just starting again. So really interesting to actually take that approach. And then on, on that same thread, you have had this relationship with Irina where most of it has been over Zoom, am I right? Yeah, exactly. And, and how's that been? How's the communication and, you know, the the emotional aspects of the business, which inevitably comes in. Have there been any challenges around communicating over Zoom and text and Slack? Yeah. So we met on March 3rd, and I think we were in person until something like the 15th. Uh, so, so those two weeks when everyone was figuring out what, what was happening in the world. And then we've really um, only seen each other a couple times since then. So we had to develop um, really remote processes. From a work perspective, Irina had previously been employed at Google, which obviously has a global workforce. And so she had a lot of really great um, remote working kind of strategies that she knew in place. And so from the beginning, 
she really helped us implement like key, how do you basically take notes, you schedule meetings, how do you even organize your information within your, um, in the cloud. So she knew how to do that because she'd already been doing that. So that was really helpful. So we really didn't have an issue transitioning to remote. In terms of just the emotional communication, I think uh, in in the almost year that we've worked together, I would say there's almost a different ways we've communicated digitally. You know, you have all of the different video softwares, then you have all the texting of your WhatsApp, you have your signals, telegrams, Twitter, um, email, phone, each of these things. I also think we have probably spoken to each other on the phone at every single hour on the 24 hour clock uh, over the last year. And so you really see a lot of this. Uh, we definitely miss meeting up in person. I think probably everyone misses meeting up in person. It's just, I mean, in my view, it's, it's just nicer. I mean, it's just more authentic and real. And so obviously as soon as that's a possibility, we will do that regularly. Um, but given that the world is currently digital, I think, I mean, I would say many, many times, Rena and I have been speaking on the phone right before I go to bed, as soon as we wake up, just all the time. And I would feel comfortable calling it really like any second of the day because uh, we've gotten to that point. Yeah, man, it's amazing. And it, it's good to have some kind of, there's lots of people that suddenly were dropped off a cliff when it came to the sudden, um, need for us all to transition to working remotely and it took people a while to, to you know adjust and adapt to that I was also quite lucky where I'd always worked for a remote type company so I could bring a lot of that remote type infrastructure to the table one thing that I've struggled with um up until this point was because we had the same thing we were face to face and then we were remote and then we hired someone and then we were all face to face and then remote again and when we were when you're building a business from the ground up the collaboration aspect and the creativity is very important. And sometimes when you're sitting with your co-founder, you can spend four hours hammering out ideas and creating magic, but it's very rare that you'd book a four hour Zoom call. Well, I certainly didn't. And it was only yesterday for the first time that we booked a two, two hour Zoom call just to have like a, a, collabor a collaborative meeting with not that much of an agenda. Whereas your instinct usually is right, let's have a 30 minute call here, catch up at the end of the day. And you're coming to the meeting with a set list of agenda points. Uh, and you don't really have much time to just sit there and, and, and speak openly. Coming through the incubator and because it's such a collaborative environment, was it kind of instilled more in you guys that it's good to uh, you know, block out big chunks of time, even if it is over a Zoom call? So we actually, a, a struggle we had is this ideation period and how do you do ideation well? Um, I think it's, it's really hard. Mm. I think you just don't have the same whiteboarding type of aspect that you get when it's in real life. We have done some intentional moves to get ideation time. So one intentional move that we've done is putting an actual two hour block in our calendar called ideation. And it sounds very prescriptive and this is the way it works, but seeing ourselves be sitting on a zoom call for that two hours and chatting um, has been really good. We did have a few, um, a few kind of like intern types type people on our team for a while. And we structured meetings around topics. And so our, um, 
most important topics are sales and product. And so we actually set aside specifically time to discuss sales and product every week and making sure that those both get um, really dedicated hours because Again, Irina is more technical. I'm more business. If you don't set dedicated time, it's hard for her to make sure she's getting the product discussion that she really needs to be having um, with the wider team. And so I think you do just need to be a little bit more um, prescriptive and planning with the way you structure uh, your life because you can't tap on someone's shoulder and ask them, ask them for help. No, absolutely. Um, I actually found a, a digital whiteboards app the other day, but you know, it wasn't the same. We just end up going back to a Google sheet, but uh, yeah, we're trying. Yeah. So we have 300K today, pound sterling. And when I say today, it's the uh, 4th of February at summer recording. Um, what next? What are we spending on, Julianne? The biggest area we'll be spending our new funding round on is doubling our team. And so it's actually bringing on new people on board. So we really want to make sure that they're the right culture fit for us, that they're they're the people that can help us get the business to the next stage. And so we're being really careful uh, with that hiring process. It's our first hiring process that we're running um, together as a team too. And so really learning and making sure we test a certain culture fit. So we're doing both culture fit and aptitude fit um, to get it all right. Um, and yeah, it, it's spending our time with our customers. And so we really are trying to only um, only speak to our customers right now, uh, double down on products, getting a lot of advice on products. Um, design is a big thing that we really hacked together our front end and design. We're looking to professionalize our design a little bit um, and take advantage of the Techstars community uh, that, we, that we are a part of as well. Sure. So speaking of products, can we dive into, I know this is, uh, you know, ESG isn't going to uh, mean uh, a whole deal to a lot of the people out there listening, but can we dive into the product and essentially what it does and break it down for someone like me who didn't know what ESG wasn't until I came across you guys? Yeah, uh, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance, and it is the fastest growing area finance right now. It is going through an explosive, explosive growth spurt. Um, one one specific metric I've seen is growing at 300% around year right now. So it's really insane what is happening in that industry. And going into what really does it mean? So it's measuring a business's performance on everything from water uses, waste management, emissions would be environmental factors. Um, social factors would think, be things like what are the health safety policies of your employees during COVID uh, would be a big one for say a manufacturing company or what is your staff diversity, uh, what is your workplace turnover and then there's governance factors. So um, how does executive compensation compare to lower level compensation? Uh, how is your board structure? Do you have an independent director on the board? So it's all of these things. Um, and how you assess them. And the reason why ESG is um, seeing such explosive growth compared to maybe sustainability or corporate social responsibility is because it has a lens of capital markets and it has a lens of financial materiality. So when you're thinking about all of these factors and how they impact businesses, what's specific to ESG is it's looking at the ones that are most closely tied to your business model as the most important. So, for example, if you are a manufacturing company, 
it's extremely relevant. What are your worker health and safety policies? What is your fatality rate? How are you doing on those factors? Even what is your waste management practice? And uh, as you guys start to you know spend the money on on humans and, and ramp up the team, um, do you see yourselves transitioning back into being an office-based company, or uh, are you going to be one of the companies that has the WFA, the work from anywhere policy attached to the job spec? Oh, we actually are trying to get people that are London-based. Uh, we think there's tons of great tech talent in London. And the ability when we're in such an early stage to just meet up in human form at a cafe or an office that we have, we just think it's so valuable for the really, really early stages. We actually are like really prioritizing having people that can do that. We might have some flexibility that if someone is, say, European-based and could come once a month, type scenario that could be okay but i would say the idea of never or having it being extremely difficult to meet in person is probably not interesting for us i think we both miss the human element of teamwork um so so we will be looking to have more at least for our early team we, we want some in-person stuff yeah this seems to be the consistent answer amongst tech founders I, I think um especially after this experience we kind of miss humans well everyone misses humans throughout this don't we but um yeah. Yeah, i've not come across a tech founder yet that said yeah no this is completely remote from the ground up i mean we're looking at having it split so that some people can be remote but within traveling distance of london so we can get them down here once a month at the very minimum uh, but we're the same. We just want some people around us to generate the buzz, uh, especially after all of this. But hey, it is so tempting when we get like amazing developers and, and account executives uh, approaching us from Edinburgh. And it can potentially save us 10K a year per person when you factor in a difference in salary potentially and also the cost of a desk uh, and that office space in London. So it's very, very tempting. Um, but I think it will pay dividends. I think if you invest in having the people in London and we have to house uh, each, each other in an office, I think it really will pay off. Well, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. We feel the same way. Because also that's how you build friendships. And in, in the early days, it's such a family building it because you're just not that many people with big ambitions. And so getting those really, really close relationships, I just think they kind of... There's only so far a digital relationship can get to that I think an in-person relationship can really exceed. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of relationships, you know, most tech companies tend to have co-founders. Um, but you, you've obviously met Arena through the incubator uh, and you've had a kind of a, a, a semi-face-to-face relationship and, and a lot um, via digital relationship. What do you think are the most important parts of having a co-founder from your experience so far um, and what have potentially been the silver linings of having this co-founder um, sort of removed and, and communicating in, in uh, you know, digital ways and what have been the, ch uh, the, the challenges of that apart from the obvious? But the most important thing in a co-founder, I would say, is just trusting that they truly, truly have the business's best practices in heart through everything. And I think like I've seen, and I know that both just really believe in the business and believe in pushing it forward. And I never question that. And if you question that in your co-founder, I think you should not work with that co-founder. I think that it just, 
ruins the business, if that's the case, then a nice to have, but I would say first you want to have the trust. A really nice to have for us is that we have just very different skills. I'm on the business side. She's on the tech side. It's a super clear division. We don't have issues on who owns what. She owns the tech decisions. I own the business decisions. We obviously collaborate and discuss both. But there's not ambiguity between who's the owner of these two aspects of the business and trusting the other person to own the part of the business they're involved with. I think that um, teams with, let's say, a CEO and COO as the two co-founders, you can sometimes have um, more ambiguity between who handles what, how do you address those uh division of labor. I think it can work. I mean, if they're really good friends, I think it's fine. I've seen successful combos like that. And then they maybe hire a technical leader, a CTO. But for me, I feel really happy that we just, we, we are owning different parts of the business. Um, but I trust would be the first thing. So just, you have to trust. It's, it's interesting your, your last point with co-founders having opposing skills. It's not something I've thought of before. Um, because most I say that I know and have come across have very similar skills. Often they're colleagues in the same division. You know, they're both salespeople, for example. And uh, my co-founder and I are, well, we're both salespeople, but I also come from the creative background. So we've managed to delegate and split. But the main issue when you both can do the same things is you tend to benchmark each other off each other and, and kind of can critique what the other person is doing more which isn't necessarily very healthy when you're delegating because the other person is always looking over like, ah, oh, he, he's not doing that right, or I would have done it quicker, or uh, she's she's too slow. Um, so it's, yeah, it's absolutely makes sense to try and find someone who's of an opposing skill set. Uh, but do you think um, that, how difficult do you think that would be to, to replicate if you weren't in an incubator setting? I think it's possible. I think it would be really, really hard. I think that if I was not in an incubator setting, I would probably prioritize trust and finding trust over finding complementary skills. Because, so one thing is we both got vetted into the incubator. You go through an interview process to even join it. So I knew that everyone in the incubator was vetted and selected. Um, so, so that was already like, okay, there's some kind of qualification with everyone here. Meeting a developer, it was completely ad hoc. I would feel much less comfortable judging their skills or how they would do. I would probably need them to go through like a friend that I trust who's a developer and actually has some kind of shared skills for a vetting thing. And that, that could have worked. I have friends that I would if they vouched for someone, I would be okay that I believe. Um, with Irina, it was, yeah, it was a little bit cleaner just because we actually were both vetted in. And so I felt confident from the onset. Makes a lot of sense. And this is the thing, usually that vetting procedure comes from having worked with someone or having known someone for a long time in an industry. Uh, but again, it, it's, um, it, it's even the, the tribal aspect comes in salespeople don't often hang around with devs and vice versa so if you're listening and you want to start a business and you're the sales guy or the dev go across the room and hang out with someone else who does a different job because that's when you might start yeah. the uh, the next big thing so 
kind of summing up, what would you say have been your biggest silver linings of starting a business during this whole um, messed up Corona situation? Two things have been very helpful. So thing one, you can talk to way more people in way less time because all you have to do is dial in. No expectation of traveling across London, sitting in the tube, going to the meeting. So it basically means you, I mean, almost double double your day sometimes because we think it's 30 minutes commute each way to a meeting, one hour meeting, like that's two hours. Well, you can so cleanly do, like you can do two one hour meetings. So you can meet double the amount of people, um, especially with fundraising. You can meet so many investors and you don't have to spend the time going to their office and things like this. It also hurts because you don't get to know them as well, but in the positive, that's really good. And the other thing is, from a bootstrapping perspective, it's just much cheaper to live right now. I mean, there's nothing to spend money on. Like, um, So if you have runway or you like did a bit of consulting, kind of like pay the bills while I was doing it, like one consulting job could really like, I was good for a while. Um, and just my costs were so much lower because you really just do like groceries and rent are really like you're not tempted to go out to restaurants you're not tempted to like go on a weekend trip to somewhere in europe and so you just uh your burn your personal burn is much lower yeah that is my biggest silver lining by far is, is the personal burn that's a very good uh very good description of it as well i don't have any weddings to go to no birthdays no family events no expensive shit i'm just here yeah you know don't get me wrong when when we had August and a, a slight respite from restrictions in London, I went out to eat and I had some enjoyment, but I, my personal runway is like five times what it would be in normal times. Uh, so yeah. it's, it, you know, I think this is why we have these businesses coming together is a lot of clever people got busy. They're like, fuck it. I'm not leaving the house. What can I do with the guests that are coming onto the podcast? They kind of generally fall into two camps. The ones that were going to do a business were creating the concept and did it anyway. And so the ones that did it in spite of COVID and then the ones that did it because of COVID. Um, yeah. What both of those camps share is the fact that whilst the world was shutting down and a lot of established businesses were going into a state of paralysis, they were like, you know, now's the time to do it. And um, it, it's nice to see that it's definitely paying dividends. So then on the flip side, what's been the biggest challenges, the biggest pains in the rear ends when trying to get uh, NOSA data off the ground through 2020 and beyond. Not that this year's turning out to be much better so far. <laughs> biggest challenge uh, being 2020 is essentially you're never having fun to the same extent that you would ordinarily have fun. I mean, it's okay to go on a Zoom happy hour, but, which is a disadvantage. I would say then going into the kind of the flip of the customer and the fundraising aspects all of your relationships are just weaker. And so you meet all these people and you just don't, don't get to know them to the same extent. Cause I would say it probably takes double the amount of digital interactions to reach the same amount as a few in-person coffees um, for trust. So with the Antler cohort, um, I know everyone, I got to meet everyone in person, which was great, but there's a lot of downsides where I feel like I got to know Irina really well because we spent most of our time together, but then the just casual happy hours that you would have done, we didn't get to do. So the rest of the cohort, you know them, but you're not best, like best friends. Now that 
Techstars. So in Techstars, we're the only team in Europe and everyone else is distributed across the US. And so with that group, really trying to make targeted time to talk to them digitally. But yeah, I mean, we have something like six to eight hours of Zoom programming a day. And so it's just, you're doing so much Zoom anyway. Do you really want to do another 30 minute social Zoom? And like, I mean, you do because the whole point of doing something like that is to like meet and know the people. And so it's like making the time for it. But yeah, it, 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 the friendships I think would just be much deeper if we were in person. Yeah, I feel your pain on the time zones as well. So uh, I coined the phrase from San Francisco to Sydney for the podcast. And then now that I'm literally doing that, it's uh, <laughs> it's not good. The time zones are a killer. Hey, it's funny you're saying about the trust element and creating uh, digital relationships. And are they as strong as a relationship that you have in the person? I personally think there's a silver lining in that because you can't enter into an agreement on gut instinct in the same way that you would if you shook hands with someone or you went for a beer with someone as a lot of investment deals happen, right? You know, you really think about it carefully and vet that person in a more, uh, you know, precise and clinical way. And not that I would wish that over going to meet someone in person, but I think there there is some kind of silver lining on it. And hopefully as things start to normalize and, and it won't be long, I'm sure, uh, you, the fact that the human relationship comes afterwards might potentially be a good thing. You know, you've got yeah. to know each other the, the clinical way, you've started off on a good foot, and then you, you have fun in the relationship afterwards. So, yeah. But it's a very interesting point. So, what's next for NOSA Data apart from the hiring and the scaling? How can we keep an eye on you? How can we support? And what's our final message for the guests of the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club? Yeah, so obviously, uh, if you are just responsible for ESG reporting and you're interested in using our software, uh, we'd love to talk to you. So that's the main group we're talking to. We're doing a lot to educate about ESG. So if you're interested in ESG, I obviously find it fascinating. Um, I write a weekly newsletter about it. I'm trying to do just so much to demystify this very complicated and intimidating field that I think all businesses are going to have to uh, pay attention to. So I definitely do that. Um, our next big really public thing that we'll do is we'll have Techstars Demo Day at the end of April. So that's on April 22nd, where we'll be pitching the state of our business. Um, and that's a very large production event. So that's a big one as well. And then yeah, hiring. So any, any, the, those two candidates were going for a software engineer and a hungry, hungry, strat or someone with a couple years experience that wants to really own own sales and many things um yeah i would love to talk to you and finally uh julianne if there's other would-be tech entrepreneurs out there um can they reach out to you on linkedin to pick your brains on all things incubators and tech startups yeah please reach out to me uh yeah i just gen just genuine outreach um if, if you do reach out to me on linkedin once you put uh on your profile or even if you say you recently raised funding you do get a lot of spam so please just personalize it that you're interested in ESG uh, because I have noticed that the number of inbound as you change those things uh, it gets pretty heavy yeah pretty heavy and, and, and pretty monotonous and, and consistent so it's not that difficult yeah. to personalize it you definitely will stand out uh, from the from the LinkedIn I won't call them spammers but the LinkedIn um, very persistent as 
Yeah. I mean, if you, if you say on LinkedIn, I think we have synergy and that is all you say, I will probably not respond. If you understand that we have something in common, I'm much more likely to like, if, if you say I like ESG, then I'll probably even respond, but I get, I get maybe like 10 synergy requests a day. So yeah, absolutely. Or invite you on a podcast because that works. <laughs> All right, Julianne, thank you very much. That was uh, fascinating and uh, looking forward to speaking to you again. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thanks so much to Julianne. That was a very insightful episode. And as you can probably tell from the conversation, I was really not in the know about how these incubators work on the inside. Like you're literally going in, you're not meant to have any preconceived ideas as to what you want. You're just meant to be entrepreneurial, have a proven track record of, I guess, being able to be a viable entrepreneur, but being open-minded and being easy to get along with and open to connecting and, well, essentially matchmaking with someone who is aligned with the same kind of visions and values. But also what is very, very, I guess, alien to the way that I've always done things you're literally going into something where you're trying to find someone who's the opposite of you. And I think that's incredibly insightful. You know, when you start a business, well, for me anyway, I always kind of instinctively look over my shoulder and go, right, who do I know? Hey, do you fancy doing this with me? But often we tend to be, well, that person over your shoulder tends to be someone that has a very similar skill set. So if the incubator route is for you, there are lots to look out for. We'll talk about them more after Snorray's episode coming up. But if the incubator route isn't for you, still think about ways in which you can find someone with an opposing skill set. How to kind of make that yin and yang look slightly different. Thanks again to Julianne and join us literally right now because we released the second episode consecutively to this one. It's another really, really good one. So we'll see you on the other side.